1: just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketship fm twenty four. That's pork porkbun p o r k b u n dot com forward slash rocketship fm twenty four. You'll save a dollar on your next domain.
0: So Mike, welcome to season 11. Hey, I'm happy to be here. I can't believe we're actually on season 11 already. I know it. When we started,
1: we didn't even have seasons. And so our first (laughs) two seasons are technically a hundred interviews
0: each. Well, we've come a long way from just recording interviews to today. We're really, telling the stories behind some of the most important tech companies around today. That's right, uh,
1: from the failure of Google+, Plus, Google's supposed Facebook killer, to the origins of
0: the COVID-19 vaccine. Plus, we just wrapped up a season of over 60 listener confessions, which ranged from mild workplace annoyances, a lot of COVID frustrations for sure, but even some very serious situations of discrimination abuse, really, really important um, and serious topics. Yes, and we need to give a huge shout
1: out to all of of our guests who helped us make sense of those confessions. Uh, We've covered a lot of ground over the years, and this season should be no different. This season, we're covering technology's rapid advance and how it's undermined some of society's foundations as misinformation is spread, privacy vanishes, and counterfeit goods proliferate. We've got stronger artificial intelligence uh, being developed, Neuralink implants
0: and quantum computing. Um, More upheaval is on its way. Yeah, but those same advances that have created these hard problems have also connected people in new ways. They've democratized information access, they've even let small businesses expand nationally and even globally. And without cutting-edge technologies, we wouldn't have things like the mRNA vaccines that are helping curb a global pandemic. This season, we're looking at the good, the
1: bad, and the ugly of the tech industry. And we'll be examining some of the potential effects it has had on society, and some of the effects of the government's attempt to rein in some of the largest companies in our space. So welcome to season 11 of
0: Rocketship.fm. The season we've titled Antitrust. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is
1: produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka.
0: And I'm Mike Belsito.
1: So season 11 of Rocketship.fm, one we're calling Antitrust, is all about the products we use and build every day. So look, it's clear that we're in the middle of a big cultural transformation. And while this has been brewing for some time, in the last five years we're really
0: seeing the effects come to the surface of society. The trust in our systems and societal foundations are clearly broken as technology is advanced at a speed that's just far faster than any of us could have imagined.
1: We haven't yet come to terms with the numerous issues our technological advancements have left in their wake, such as the rampant spread of misinformation, counterfeit goods, and data privacy. And yet, unregulated artificial intelligence, Neuralink brain implants, and quantum computing are right on the horizon, introducing new risks to society
0: that we have yet to even imagine. This season, we're going to explore the positive and negative effects on technology, from the numerous antitrust cases being brought against tech companies like Apple, Facebook, Google, and Microsoft, to the rampant spread of misinformation, to even the development of the COVID-19 vaccine in record time. We're going to
1: ask ourselves the question, can technology create a better world, or are we doomed to attempt to rein in and regulate the most destructive elements of the information age
0: forever? So we're going to start with Actual antitrust, the antitrust reforms and lawsuits in the United States that are shining a very public light on some of the issues the tech industry not only faces but has caused. These lawsuits are lawmakers' best attempts at making sense of a lot of these issues. And that's not to say that they have it right. If we've learned
1: anything from the Senate questioning Mark Zuckerberg a couple years ago, we know that many of them have absolutely no idea how the Internet and the Internet businesses actually work.
2: How many
3: data categories do you store, does Facebook store, on the categories that you collect?
4: Senator...
5: Can you clarify what you mean by data well, there's, categories? Well, there's
3: some past reports that have been out there that indicate that it, that Facebook collects about 96 data categories for those 2 billion active users. That's 192 billion data points that are being generated, I think, at any time uh, from consumers globally. So how many do you, does Facebook store out of that? Do you store any?
4: Senator, I'm not actually sure what that is referring to. Could somebody call you up and say, I want to see John Kennedy's file? Absolutely not.
1: Could you, if, not, not, could you, not would you do it, could you do
5: it? Uh, in, In theory. Do you have the right to put my data, a name on my data and share it with somebody?
4: I do not believe we have the right to do that. Do you have the ability? Senator, the data is in the system, so... Do you have the ability? Technically, I think someone could do that, but that would be a massive breach, so we would never do that. It would be a
5: breach.
1: Are you willing to change your business model in the interest of protecting individual privacy?
4: Congresswoman, we have made and are continuing to make changes to reduce the amount of data No, are
0: you willing to change your business model in the interest of protecting individual privacy?
4: Congresswoman, I'm not sure what that means.
3: If I choose to terminate my Facebook account, can I bar Facebook or any third parties from using the data that I had previously supplied uh, for any purpose whatsoever?
4: Yes, Senator. If you delete your account, we should get rid of all of your information. You should or do do you? We do. We do.
3: How about third parties that you have um, contracted with to use some of that underlying information, perhaps, to target advertising uh, for themselves. You can't do you do you, with do you claw
4: back that information as well, or does that remain in their custody? Well, uh, Senator, this is actually a very important question. I'm glad you brought this up because there's a, a very common misperception about Facebook that we sell data to advertisers, and we do not sell data to advertisers. Well, we you don't sell you data; clearly to rent it. Um,
0: But now Amazon, Facebook, Apple, and Google, they could be forced to overhaul their business practices under an expansive set of antitrust reforms introduced by a bipartisan group of House lawmakers. Despite
1: tech pushback, the bipartisan support for these bills is actually a formidable signal to the industry. The sector has inspired rare collaboration between Democrats and Republicans who both believe tech companies have come to hold way too much power and they worry about
0: that stagnating innovation. So we keep mentioning multiple bills, let's go through five of the most prominent antitrust reforms that have been introduced in Congress. Here we've asked a few of our voice acting friends to help us bring these to life for you.
6: Ending Platform Monopolies Act, sponsored by Pramila Jayapal, a Democrat from Washington State, whose district includes Amazon's headquarters of Seattle, and co-sponsored by Representative Lance Gooden, a Republican from Texas. This bill would make it unlawful for a platform with at least 50 million monthly active U.S. users and a market cap of over $600 billion to own or operate a business that presents a clear conflict of interest. Unlawful conflicts would include anything that incentivizes a business to favor its own services over those of a competitor or disadvantage potential competitors that use the platform. Lawmakers have previously expressed concern that both Amazon and Apple, which run their own platforms for sellers and developers, respectively, could undermine competition due to a conflict of interest for their own competing products or apps.
2: American Choice and Innovation Online Act. This bill, proposed by David Cicilline, a Democrat from Rhode Island and co-sponsored by Lance Gooden, a Republican from Texas, would prohibit dominant platforms from giving their own products and services advantages over those of competitors on the platform. It would also prohibit other types of discriminatory behavior by dominant platforms, such as cutting off a competitor that uses the platform from services offered by the platform, and ban dominant platforms from using data collected on their services that isn't public to others to fuel their own competing products, among several other prohibitions.
6: Platform Competition and Opportunity Act This proposal from Representative Hakeem Jeffries, a Democrat from New York, co-sponsored by subcommittee ranking member Ken Buck, a Republican from Colorado, would shift the burden of proof in merger cases to dominant platforms to prove that their acquisitions are in fact lawful, rather than the government having to prove they will lessen competition. The measure would likely substantially slow down acquisitions by dominant tech firms.
2: Augmenting compatibility and competition by enabling service switching. Access Act. This proposed bill from Rep. Mary Gay Scanlon, a Democrat from Pennsylvania, and co sponsored by Rep. Burgess Owens, a Republican from Utah, would mandate dominant platforms maintain certain standards of data portability and interoperability, making it easier for consumers to take their data with them to other platforms.
6: Merger Filing Fee Modernization Act. This bill, introduced by Representative Joe Neguse, a Democrat from Colorado, and co-sponsored by Representative Victoria Sparts, a Republican from Indiana, appears to be companion legislation to the bipartisan bill of the same name in the Senate. The Senate version passed in that chamber on Tuesday as part of a larger $250 billion tech and manufacturing bill. The bill would raise the fees companies pay to notify the Federal Trade Commission and Department of Justice Antitrust Division of large mergers with the goal of raising money for those agencies.
1: There's a lot in there that gives the government the ability to essentially slow the growth of the dominant tech companies, slowing down their ability to swallow up talent and competition through mergers and prevent them from pushing their own products ahead of other businesses, oftentimes small independent businesses who rely on these behemoths to make a living. All right, let's pause here for a quick break.
0: So if we were to break it down, lawmakers are focused on three areas increasing competition, slowing down mergers and acquisitions, and shifting at least the control of data back to consumers, which could be an initial step towards ownership. Now, for this episode, we're going to focus
1: on competition. Sally Hubbard, the senior editor of tech antitrust enforcement at the Capital Forum, said it well when she was speaking at the Milken Institute event in 2018.
7: About two years ago, I started to see a lot of conduct out of the tech platforms that really reminded me of the USB Microsoft case. So uh, what I'm mostly concerned about with the tech platforms is that they are controlling the arena in which the game is played, and they are also playing the game. So the re- result of that is that we have a playing field for competition that is quite distorted. Uh, and what I've called this is a platform privilege, and that's the incentive and the ability of a platform to favor its own products and services over those of competitors, competitors that are also depending on that platform once they become dominant and become the main way to be discovered by consumers, for example.
0: What they were describing is, if we were to compare it to the physical world, if local governments owned and operated, let's say grocery stores, and then in order to ensure that they were successful, Prioritize building roads and developments around their stores making access incredibly easy and purposely not building roads and access to their competitors stores so that no one can access the competitors stores. They go out of business in this case when we drive more customers to these government-owned
1: grocery stores we give them more leverage and buying power allowing them to keep the competition out of the market this is what google and amazon are doing regularly when they're operating both the search engine and potentially prioritizing their own products at the top of those result
0: pages in europe for example the european commission fined google 2.42 billion euro for breaching eu antitrust rules European Commission decided that Google had abused its market dominance as a search engine by giving an illegal advantage to another Google product, its comparison shopping service. So this case all started in 2004 when
1: Google entered the comparison shopping market in Europe with a product that was initially called Frugal and has since been renamed Google Product Search in 2008 and since 2013 has been called Google Shopping. It allows consumers to compare products and prices online and find deals from online retailers of all types, including online shops
0: and manufacturers, platforms such as Amazon and eBay, and other resellers. When Google entered comparison shopping markets with Frugal, there were already a number of established players. Contemporary evidence from Google shows that the company was well aware that Frugal's market performance was relatively poor. One internal document from 2006 stated, Frugal simply doesn't work. <laughs>
1: So, Comparison shopping services rely to a large extent on traffic to be competitive. More traffic leads to more clicks and generates revenue. Furthermore, more traffic also attracts more retailers that want to list their products in these comparison shopping services. Given Google's dominance in general internet search, its search engine is an important source of traffic
0: for comparison shopping services. In 2008, Google began to implement in European markets a fundamental change in strategy to push its comparison shopping Shopping service. This strategy relied on Google's dominance in general internet search instead of competition on the merits in comparison shopping markets.
1: Not only did Google promote their own service above their competition, they demoted the rival comparison shopping services in its search results. Evidence showed that even the most highly ranked rival service appears on average on page 4 of Google's search results. And others appear even further down, essentially burying them from getting any traffic visibility so what was found was that google's own comparison shopping service was not subject to google's generic search algorithm and then so it didn't receive such demotions that its competition did
0: and as a result google drove a ton of traffic to their own product by giving it special preference and demoting their competitor services on page four or higher so they couldn't be found but this isn't an isolated incident Google is also facing
1: lawsuits because they paid other platforms to ensure that they were the default search engine. Here's a clip from CNBC explaining the issue.
8: The first suit that came out was the DOJ's suit that it filed along with 11 Republican attorneys general. And basically, that suit focuses specifically on what it alleges are exclusionary contracts that Google made with different manufacturers. So I think the one that's maybe gotten the most attention is Google's uh, longstanding contract with Apple. Essentially, Google makes payments to Apple. Um, to be the default search engine on its devices. The DOJ is basically saying that by giving itself default status on not only Android apps through contracts with uh, Android manufacturers for devices, but also with Apple, that it's tying up the main distribution channels for general search. The latest lawsuit that came out from a group of 38 states, these are a group of bipartisan attorneys general. So it also focuses a little bit on its advertising technology, how it's used that to allegedly exclude competitors. And then the third lawsuit, the Texas-led lawsuit, uh, which includes nine other Republicans, Republican attorneys general, Texas is saying that Google saw that Facebook was going to make a competitive ad exchange and to head off that competition entered an anti-competitive agreement with Facebook that involved it rigging its own ad auctions uh, to favor Facebook in various ways. Google has denied that it's engaged in any anti-competitive conduct. It's saying that it makes these decisions for consumers and it also is saying that they make it possible for consumers to choose an alternative google's empire it really spans a lot it's both search and advertising the house judiciary Subcommittee on antitrust the democratic staff said that they have a sort of uh you know interlinking monopolies um and that Combining those uh, features with user data really entrenches their dominance.
0: Entrenches their dominance. That kind of says it all, doesn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, It does. It does. But there is another side of the story to that. While dominant, they're dominant because they are the best. It's not like Google didn't beat out Yahoo, Netscape, Ask Jeeves right back in the day, and a host of other internet providers vying for our loyalty. And they also provide their service completely free which does democratize access to information in a way that was never available before. Here's economist um, and George Mason University professor, Tyler Cohen.
3: First, almost all of you in this room use these services. Most of your use of them is free. You benefit greatly from this. You use them for a reason, Tyler. You right. pay in other ways; it's not free. Look I at take online, ed- green economics. Stop.
0: If you say it's free, I
3: look agree, at online advertising. I use Facebook online advertising. I pay for it. It is much cheaper, much better, much higher quality, much better service than radio, TV, newspaper, many other options I have. It is not a monopoly. Facebook and Google have a lot of that market because they provide a better service at a lower price. And no, they did not elect Trump. So there's not evidence that is monopoly. US antitrust policy is based on a standard of consumer harm. You have new options for advertising. In fact, Facebook advertising lowers the overall degree of monopoly in an economy because small and medium-sized businesses can reach the customers. These businesses could not afford, say, television and radio. So Facebook is the great engine of anti-monopoly. Facebook and Google have been highly innovative. The charge against Microsoft is that it wasn't. Most of all, if you look at consumer surplus, from those services and you ask, is there serious consumer harm? Not some anecdote you can pull out or what might they do or someone is gonna be first in Google or Bing or third. That's not something we can fix by the law. Ask the basic questions, are consumers much, much better off? Is this still a dynamic changing market? Do we really trust antitrust to figure out how to set this right and what's been the most dynamic, creative destruction? laden period of the last 10 to 15 years that we've seen in almost any sector ever i think right now we still want to encourage market innovation
0: okay okay so let's take google economic impact into consideration google's economic impact report finds the company contributing 165 billion dollars of economic activity for 1.4 million businesses and nonprofits in 2015. Ads and search leads to clicks, and clicks leads to business, and business leads to new job opportunities. The Missouri Star Quilt
1: Company, for instance, is now the largest employer in its rural county. Its 250 employees ship thousands of packages every day to consumers around the world. As Al Doan, the founder and CEO, says, the internet let us build a business that's changed our town
0: and changed our family. Here's a clip from Forbes interviewing the founders, Jenny Doane and Al Doane
5: was about 2008, the market had crashed, we lost most of our retirement. And the children started looking at things that we could do in our retirement, so that as we got older, we could not have to live in their basement, probably was their motivation. They decided to buy me a quilt machine.
4: We started it and the idea was just if we could make $10,000 a month, Uh, Then like 5,000 would go to cost of goods and we'd have $5,000 to give to mom I mean it turned into a big family business when it was supposed to be a nice little side gig to help mom pay her bills
5: Alan came in one day and once he bought the quilt machine, he was looking at what happened with quilting online and it hadn't made the jump yet. And so he came and asked me if I wanted to do tutorials and of course my response to him was, sure honey, what's a tutorial, you know?
4: It was a big challenge that we had when we got started, right? We're a quilt company in Hamilton, Missouri. Population 1,500, now
5: find us. And I just looked at him like he had lost his mind. I'm like, nobody my age is ever gonna go (laughs) on the computer to find out how to do anything.
4: We have like 500,000 subscribers-ish, and we do about 150 million views total.
5: Once we started putting out these tutorials, I started to get letters. And that's the thing that first struck me that people were watching.
4: And so it started sort of giving us that courage to go out and build a brand and build a message around these videos that then later became this huge draw.
1: We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. So there are truly two sides to each of these issues, and any solution needs to take both into consideration. We don't want to reduce the opportunity that these platforms currently provide to small businesses. However, continuing to allow them to monopolize the market gives them a lot of leeway to direct attention to where they benefit the most. And that can actually mean decreasing visibility of their competitors or increasing visibility of their own properties.
0: As the internet is now essentially a public utility, or at least approaching the status that we classify, electricity, gas, water, sewage, even phone lines, the internet is often lightheartedly written off as containing only cat videos or photos of people's breakfasts. But Article 27 in the UN's Universal Declaration of Human Rights states that Everybody has the right to freely participate in the cultural life of the community, to enjoy the arts, to share in the scientific advancement and its benefits. This does not necessarily mean that access to the Internet itself is an inalienable human right, but with so much of modern culture taking place online, it does add weight to the Internet's claim to utility status. And with such an essential utility, should what information people see be dictated by a few private companies? And that brings us to the thesis of the season.
1: We don't have the answers, but we want you to come along with us to explore the positive and negative impacts of the technology industry and discuss how we can build back the trust we've lost in these companies and institutions we rely on to provide and protect us. Join us this season as we explore misinformation, data privacy, social engineering, counterfeit goods, crypto, the democratization of investments hustle culture, and
0: even product addiction. For Rocketship.fm, we're Michael Saka and I'm Mike Belsito, and we will see you next week.